Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, while many things are standardised across the European Union, one that is left to each country is health. The Irish MEP Billy Kelleher thinks that it's perhaps time to consider some form of a European health union. And he joins us now. Afternoon, Billy. Good afternoon. Uh, So what, what would a European health union look like? Well, I think we'd have to start at, you know, um, a point where we would look at standardising certain issues. I mean, for example, the infant heel prick test, for example, is one area where I think we could make significant advances. In Ireland, a heel prick test is done on a neonatal. Um, uh, nine tests are done. In France, six. In Spain, 24 different tests for various um, illnesses, diseases. Uh, so, I mean, that would be just one simple area. The other area then would be the procurement of medicines. For example, at the present time, we have a huge shortage of medicines in certain areas within the European Union. Of course, we didn't have health services uh, from member states outbidding each other to try and purchase and stock um, you know, those particular medicines. So there will be two key areas where I think we could uh, make a lot of progress, both in procurement, setting up inventory so we know what medicines are in place, um, and then also in standardising of testing and diagnosis, and then support for areas that are very specialised, um, you know, high-end areas, um, orphan medicines, orphan drugs, uh, and uh, rare diseases. There will be three areas where I think we could make a move. And this comes about, really, Sean, after looking at the success of the vaccine rollout program. And it was successful for a number of reasons. Um, European Union was ahead of everybody else in terms of delivery of vaccines across its own population. But it was also able to increase capacity enough that we were able to uh, sell and donate uh, to to the other parts of the world as well that were struggling to maintain supplies. Uh, And that came about because of the strength of Europe working together collectively, all the countries coming together, pooling their resources and getting good output and good outcomes. Mm. Now, w- w- would it require some, and now you've given a few examples there, would that require a legal mechanism to bring that into force or just countries signing up for it? Well, certainly it would require some legislative regulations from the European Parliament and the Council. Uh, but I mean, if you had to go further than that, then obviously you'd have to look at potential treaty changes. Um, it is a big step, you know, uh, for a country to hand over the entirety of its health services, because in doing that, you're handing over the entirety of the budget. And I'm not proposing that, but they are specific areas that, um, you know, we, we, we should work uh, a, a lot more closely. You take, for example, the Children's Hospital in, in Dublin that's being built at the moment. When that comes to its completion, it will be a state-of-the-art facility. Now, I mean, if we are to really use that uh, and have as much uh, capacity inside us for rare diseases in, in, in children and in infants, well, then we will need expertise from outside to come in from time to time. So cooperation at the very high end um, in areas of rare diseases, uh, very complex surgeries, very complex treatments and therapies, and then purchasing and procurement as well. That would be one specific area. Mm. And then I think we could start to evolve when we see successes in that area. But there's no doubt, but we were speaking about the potential to look at a health union of some form only a number of years ago. People would have just absolutely uh, frozen out the idea. But the success of the particular vaccine rollout program has, I think, uh, significantly shifted the thinking in Europe on this particular issue. Yeah, and particularly in in relation to the purchase of drugs. I mean, just anecdotally, one hears a lot about certain drugs are are, are hard to get one's hands on, even kind of uh, more covenant garden drugs. So obviously there will be some benefit in, in, in Europe putting its entire force behind bulk buying these things. 
Yes, I mean, there would be a number of advantages. Now, sometimes pharmaceutical companies would say, well, that would be obviously undermining the competition within the European Union. But the flip side of that is that you would be bulk purchasing. Um, you would be, you know, approving uh, reimbursements across member states. There would be a centralised reimbursement programme in place uh, in, the sh- in, the, in, the, in the longer term. And then that would stimulate the capacity for uh, investment in research and innovation by pharmaceutical companies, by medical device companies, knowing that if they can get a product that is innovative and that has uh, certain efficiencies in terms of health outcomes, if it is approved, it would be reimbursed and then all member states would, 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 would be able to purchase that and uh, reimburse um, the companies mm. or citizens directly in the event that they purchase. Oh, so I think there's a lot of gain, but at the end of the day, the most important thing from a European point of view, you know, it can be slightly abstract in people's lives, but it's certainly in the area of health. Um, that's one area where I believe that we should target to ensure that citizens see the full, real, tangible benefits of a European Union in their daily lives in terms of outcomes for health and for medicines and medical supplies. And might it result in then the standardisation of the prices of medicines? Because obviously it varies widely among the EU. It, it does vary widely, and there is this a basket purchasing uh, system in place where Ireland would have would be benchmarked with another uh, other countries. Uh, obviously, countries with lower income levels will be benchmarked with other um, countries of lower uh, income levels as well. So there is a disparity in the same cost um, across the European Union. Uh, eventually, it would standardise, but in the meantime, there would obviously have to be an understanding that poorer countries. Uh, in the east and maybe the south of, of Europe would not be able to pay the prices that are paid for medicines in Germany mm-hmm. and the Netherlands, Scandinavian countries and even Ireland as well. So, you know, you you would take those things into account. But longer term, you know, as um, there is a, a levelling up of the European Union, you can see now some of the Eastern European countries in terms of their, uh, you know, their economies, Poland, Estonia, Latvia and others have really started to, to, to blossom in recent years. So there would be obviously a closing of the gap um, in, in the future in terms of the disparity in medicines if you are centrally purchasing, centrally procuring uh, and, and distri- distributing as well. Yeah. Now, I understand you're just back um, uh, from Ukraine. You were with a, a, an EU uh, deputation there. Uh, how is how is Kiev? Are, how are things like power cuts and that kind of thing? Well, the power cuts are um, they're planned very often in the sense that, you know, um, most um, areas or regions within uh, Kiev know how when they'll have electricity, for example, unless there is an actual uh, missile strike on a, on a electricity facility. But in general, they have rolling outages. Um, most places will have probably electricity for 10 to 12 hours a day, um, uh, but that could be spread over four four lots. No, mm. with, with intervals of no electricity. So there is huge pressure on in terms of supply of electricity, and that, that was very evident. But what is amazing is that the city is functioning in terms of, you know, from 6 o'clock in the morning when the curfew lifts until 10 o'clock at night, there is a lot of activity in terms of cars, traffic, people uh, out and about. But there was always, like, yesterday there was three air raid sirens went off while we were there, and, you know, you people obviously have to um, head for air raid shelters then. Uh, but they have really increased their... Um, their knowledge in terms of their in information coming from what, in, what is incoming. It could be a plane or, or primarily it could be a drone or a missile or, or maybe just planes taking off in Belarus or Russia, but they actually don't launch a, a missile strike. But they have uh, really increased their technological capabilities in terms of assessing the potential threat, the direction of the threat, and in the event of they actually getting near a cave, uh, taking down the drones or the missiles. So there is that improvement, but overall, you know, the pressure is on in terms of delivery of um electricity which is causing huge hardship uh, particularly when you know whether 
Yes, mm. there was minus five um, at one stage. So that is a significant problem. But there is a lot of construction going on, Sean, being truthful. Uh, I was surprised with the amount of you know, refurbishment of very damaged buildings. Some buildings that we saw last year in Bucha and in Irpin, where there was huge destruction, have been knocked down and others have been refurbished or are being refurbished. But it, it's a drop in the ocean in terms of what they need uh, regarding accommodation for, for people. Yeah, indeed. Billy, thanks very much for speaking with us today. That was uh, the MEP, Billy Kelleher there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.